Good evening. Welcome to Uni Church. My name's Lachlan. Uh, lovely to be with you tonight. Uh, that'll come up a little bit later on. Not feeling particularly stinky, but you'll see that in a second. Uh, it's a, my joy tonight to be unpacking for us that short, punchy paragraph that we've just heard from James. We've been working through James for the last number of weeks. As John said earlier, seeing what faith looks like in action. Uh, as Christians, we say that we trust in God. We say that we believe in God and believe and trust that he sent his son Jesus to die and pay the penalty for our sins. Uh, but that belief, James has told us, is dead and fake unless it's producing fruit, unless it's showing itself forward in works. Uh, ben helped us a couple of weeks ago by saying we don't just walk away and try to staple on fruit and leaves to a dead tree. You know, like we try to go out from here and go, okay, well, I guess my faith needs to be active. I'll try to do all the good works. Rather, James is helping us to see whether our faith is genuine or not, what true and living faith looks like in action. And we've seen a bunch of different things along the way in James, haven't we? Back in week one, we saw how living faith, true faith, responds to trials, seeing them as a joy, seeing them as God growing in us, maturity. We saw from James 2 that favoritism and faith, they don't mix. If you have a living and true faith, you can't hold that and show favoritism to different people as they come into church. From James 3, we saw the way that a living faith uses words to bless God and to bless other people rather than to curse other people. And just last week, we looked at our quarrels and what true faith looks like, true wisdom looks like, not selfish ambition and envy, uh, but humility before the Lord God, faith in action. Tonight, in this last section of James 4, we're considering what faith looks like in action when it comes to planning. Now, I've got something to say here at the start that some of you will like, some of you won't like at all. This is something that James has to share with us tonight, or God through James. He says, planning can be evil. Planning can be evil. Now, some of you right now, you're nudging your friend going, see, I told you, you feel vindicated, you've never made a plan in your life. You have no idea what's happening tomorrow, let alone next week, let alone 10 years' time. You, you hate planning and you've never done it. You feel vindicated when you hear that. Others of you, you're like, but I just went and bought my KKK journal. I'm, I'm loving this planning. I'm putting things in the calendar for next year. I've got my goals. You love planning. There's different responses we might have there. For me, I'm, I love planning. I'm a planner. Uh, Candy and I, at the moment, we're looking at our budget for next year, looking at the money that we've spent this year, where it's gone, thinking through how we can tweak that into next year. We're chatting together about where we want to be in 10 years' time. We're going to be 40 in 10 years' time. Where do we want to be in life when we hit that age of 40? I love to plan. If I don't know what's happening in a particular day, if I don't have a plan for a day, I start to get quite stressy. So even if the day looks like, you know, just watching Netflix all day, I'll plan to watch Netflix all day. That'll help my heart to be at rest. I, I need the plan. I need to know what's going on. And I learnt this in marriage. I, I hadn't realised this, but early on in our marriage, uh, Candy said to me, Lachlan, why do you keep telling me what you're doing, like the next five things that you're doing in your day? So I, I don't know. I just didn't realise I was doing that. I'd had an inner monologue telling myself what was coming up, what the plan was. And in marriage, I'd started to verbalise that and speak it out. That's just the way my brain works. I love a plan. I need a plan. Perhaps you're like me or perhaps you hate plans. There's all sorts of planning that we do. There's personal life planning. Where do we want to be in life? There's financial planning. What are we doing with our money and where do we want to see that go? If you own a business, you'll do a business plan. How's the business going to grow and develop? If you get engaged, you're going to be doing some wedding planning, as a number amongst us are doing. All sorts of planning that happens in life. And James is saying, or God is saying through James, planning can be evil. 
There's a caution here. It's not that making plans is evil on its own, but there's a way of planning that is evil. There's an attitude towards planning, an attitude that kind of creeps through in the way we make our plans, and that attitude is evil. Have a look at James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. I don't know, as you read that, that just sounds like normal planning, doesn't it? Doesn't sound too evil. But there's an attitude of arrogance that is hidden within that statement of planning, an attitude of arrogance that can easily creep into our planning, where we overstep our limitations as humans. We put ourselves in God's place and think that we are masters of our own destiny. We can do anything we put our minds to, that we control the future. So if I read that verse slightly differently to to bring out the, the future tense in each of those verbs, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and we will spend a year there and we will do business and we will make a profit. In our planning, we can start to think and speak and act as if we are in control. And God says that attitude is arrogant and evil. So here's the message that God has for us tonight. You're not in control. God is. Your life depends on Him. That's the big idea to take home with you today. And if you grasp that, it's going to have an impact on the way that you plan. It's going to have an impact on the way you approach each and every day. I'll say it again for you. You're not in control, God is. Your life depends on Him. I don't know how you feel as you hear that tonight, but it's actually a beautiful and liberating truth. We're going to step our way through it as we step our way through this paragraph of James. The first thing we see is that you're not in control. Have a look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You're out there making all your plans, but you're not in control. I'm not in control. None of us know the future. James says, you're planning to spend a year somewhere? Do you even know what's going on tomorrow? You don't, do you? Now, as a planner, I have a plan for tomorrow, right? My plan is to wake up at 6am, go for a run, come back, make a coffee, read the Bible, do some praying, reading through Psalm 119, it's mint. Uh, Then after that, I'm going to be driving to, it really is a great passage. I'm going to be driving into the hub and the interns are coming in, so the plan is to spend the morning getting to know them, in some training with them. I'll be working around the hub till about five o'clock when I'm then off to dinner at 5.30. I'm going to drive home and call my wife. She's in Sydney visiting family at the moment. I'm going to spend some time with her on the phone. That's my plan for tomorrow. I don't know if that's going to happen. I might have a car accident tomorrow. It might rain in the morning and that's enough to put me off going for a run. I I might get a phone call from someone in tears who needs me to come alongside and just listen to them for a while. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the reason I don't know is because I'm not in control. See, if I was in control, then I could just decide what was going to happen and it would happen. But I'm not in control and you're not in control. People, events, accidents, weather, all of these things are outside of our control. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Now James probes deeper as verse 14 goes on. Life is short, he says. 
You don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you're like a vapour that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Life is short. It's fragile. It's here one minute and gone the next. And there are some of us here tonight who know that truth all too well. You've had a loved one die unexpectedly, perhaps in a car accident, a shock illness, late-stage cancer, or a meningococcal, or a heart attack, or a stroke. My dad lost his brother in a car accident when his brother was 21. I remember sitting on the beach with some friends back when I was 18 and we got the call that another friend of ours had died while riding a motorbike down a hill nearby. Or my previous church, there was a lady who got on the train with her husband one day. They were just heading into the city to do some shopping like they normally would and she was chatting away to her husband, noticed that he'd gone a bit quiet, turned to look at him and he was dead, just like that. Life, it's here one minute and gone the next. Now, if you haven't experienced that, and particularly if you're young, like many of us are here tonight, I think we really don't believe this truth that life is fragile. We might say we believe it, we might hold it up in our minds and and say it's true, but it doesn't sink down into our attitude towards life. We don't really believe that it's true. We go through life assuming that we'll be here tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Our default position is to think that we'll be here in 10 years' time. That's kind of our default mode until we do experience a shock death of someone that we love and know. Or until we come close to death ourselves and realise just how fragile life is. Now, it shouldn't need to take those experiences to cultivate that attitude in us. As we hear God's word tonight, my prayer is that this truth sinks down deep and we recognise how short life is, how fragile it is. We need to ground ourselves in that reality. And James gives us a brilliant illustration for it, right? Life is a vapour. So you ready to see what your life looks like? (laughs) That's life, right? That's life. It's here one minute, go on the next. A vapour. I did look up like vapes and thought about doing one of those on stage, but apparently that's not a good idea. So the deodorant's the safer option. But as you look at that, you're like, oh, right, I'm going to cling on to as much life as I can. I'm going to try to extend this and make it last. It doesn't work. Vapour slips through your grasp. It appears and then disappears before you know it. James is saying that's life. You can't extend it. You can't control it. It just appears and disappears, short and fragile. And so, friends, we're not even in control of our own life, let alone thinking that we can control the things outside of ourselves. What does this mean for us as we make plans? We'll have a look as verse 15 goes on. Instead, you should not stress about planning. Just snatch all the pleasure out of life while there's still time. That's not what James says. I hope you're reading along in the text and you realise that I... Watch the Bible, make sure I'm saying what it says. That's not what James says, but that's what lots of our generation do when they realise that life is short. They try to maximise pleasure and minimise pain. Let's suck the marrow out of life and get all the experience that we can. That's not the solution for the Christian. That's not what God encourages us to do. Have another look at verse 15. Instead, you should not even bother planning at all. Use it as an excuse to do nothing, to have no ambitions or goals or direction. 
Again, that's not what it says, but isn't that sometimes our response? Ah, life's short, I'm not in control. I'll just kind of sit back, relax, be lazy, do nothing. I don't need to grow in life. I don't need to head anywhere in life. What's the point? That's not what James encourages us to do. Just because we're not in control doesn't mean we should grow lazy or aimless. Verse 15 actually says, Instead you should say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. God encourages us to make our plans. Planning is not always evil. There's an attitude towards planning that is helpful and good and godly. Planning can be evil, but there's a way to make our plans that actually pleases God. We're to make our plans recognizing that God is in control, not us. That's the first little phrase there in James's encouragement. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. So you and I don't know the future, but there is one who does. We serve and worship a God whose will cannot be overridden. We serve and worship a God who decides what is going to happen, and it happens. Nothing can stop his plans. And so we read about him in Ephesians 1, where he's described as the God who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Everything that's happening in life is God's will being played out. In Job, his praise is the God who can do anything. No plan of his can be thwarted. It can't be stopped. It can't be challenged by any enemy. There's a couple of Proverbs up on screen that may well have been in James's mind as he wrote this little paragraph. And Proverbs are good statements of wisdom to pause and meditate on and reflect on. In Proverbs 16 verse 9, A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Or in 19 verse 21, Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. And that's the attitude to bring into our planning. Make your plans, yes. But do so recognizing that you don't know what tomorrow will bring. God does. You're not in control. It's God's will that will prevail. God knows what's going to happen in 10 years' time, in 100 years' time, even in 1,000 years' time. Because it's his will, his plans, his purposes that are directing the progress of that time. Now, scriptures are full of teaching us this foundational truth. God is in control. This understanding ought to be at the core of all our hopes, all our plans, all our dreams for the future. If the Lord wills. It's humbling to hear this. We like to think we're in control. We, we maximize the areas of life where we're in control. That's what planning does. It's why I like it so much because it makes me feel like I'm in control until that's ripped away from me. And I have to recognize, no, God's in control, not me. But once we're humbled by this reality, it actually becomes an amazing truth to live within. I'm sure you've had those moments where you've made a plan, you've done all that you could to see that plan happen, but then something comes up and the plan's been ruined. Have you got a moment like that in mind? Perhaps you'd planned out a holiday, you're really excited for it, and then an unexpected sickness meant that you couldn't go. Perhaps you had a plan to stay in New Zealand for a long time, but then the visa application didn't come through. Perhaps you had a plan to find work quickly after you graduated from university, and six months later, you're still getting knocked back from jobs. I've got to say, those moments can hurt. We feel the letdown of our hopes and expectations. But we can know in those moments of real pain 
God's still in control. His plan has not been stopped. And somehow God's plan is better than my plan was. I might have had my plan and that's, that's been thwarted, that's been ruined. But God's plan is still playing itself out. And he is a God who is wiser than us, who is better than us. His plan will be better for us than what we had planned for ourselves. No enemy, no government, no sickness, no death, no demon. Nothing can get in the way of God's plan. As we feel that pain, I I might not know why God's plan wasn't my plan. I might have thought that my plan seemed good. I'll feel the pain of that loss for a short time, sometimes for a long time. But gee, how comforting it is to know in the midst of that pain, God's in control. His plan is still working out. I can trust him. If the Lord wills. That first statement helps us to recognize God's control, but as a mindset, it can also help us to evaluate some of our plans and rule them out. There are some things that we know God doesn't want us to do. Some things we know are not His will for us. He's made known to us in the Bible His moral will. Behaviors that please Him, behaviors that don't please Him. Like that stuff we've seen so far in James, favoritism does not please God. Uh, The use of our tongue to curse others does not please God. Envy, selfish ambition does not please God. We've seen that moral will. And in light of that, we can kind of evaluate and discard some of our plans by thinking, is this something that the Lord wills? Uh, Try it out with me on a few plans. If the Lord wills, I plan to share some juicy gossip when I catch up with my friends this week. It doesn't really work together, does it? If the Lord wills, I'll become the best League of Legends player in the world, even if it takes me 10 hours a day of practice and I forget how to talk to real people. (laughs) It doesn't really work, does it? If the Lord wills, I'll run my business in a way that forces employees to work such long hours that they can't have a healthy family life. If the Lord wills, I'll save up enough money so that I can retire at 50, put my feet up, enjoying the fine things of life, walking along the beach and collecting shells for the rest of my life. Are these plans things that the Lord wills? Some of our plans, if we're honest with ourselves, are not things that we could submit to God and ask for His blessing in. Rather, they fit more closely with what James warned us of back in 4 verse 3, a few verses earlier. We heard it last week. James said, you ask for things and you don't have them because you're asking with wrong motives so that you might spend it on your pleasures. Sometimes that's what our plans are. Planning purely for our pleasure. Not planning to honour God, not planning to do His will. Make your plans recognising and submitting to the Lord's will. That's the first little phrase there, if the Lord wills. The next phrase in James 4.15 reminds us that our very lives depend on God's will. If the Lord wills, we will live. It's easy to skip over that phrase and not think much of it, just move on to the next bit and do this or that. But as you look back at verse 13, you'll notice this is a phrase that wasn't there. Uh, Back in verse 13, this kind of evil, arrogant planning, it assumed that I'd be alive today or tomorrow. It assumes that I'm going to be alive for a year to do business and make a profit. But our life is short and fragile. It's a vapour. It depends on God's will. Your life depends on God. Back at the beginning, when God created humanity, 
He formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and then breathed life into him. God is the only one who has life independent in himself. God is the only one who does not need anyone or anything else in order to live. Us as humans, our life is dependent on lots of things. But ultimately, our life is dependent on God. The only reason that you're alive here today is because God willed it to be so. God gave you life today. That's why we read Psalm 90 earlier. It's a helpful psalm to reiterate that truth for us. I want you to flick back with me in your Bible there. Uh, It's not going to be up on screen because I want you to know where this psalm is in your Bible. That's why it's helpful to have a paper Bible sometimes. You can underline things in there. If you're on electronics, then you know where Psalm 90 is all the time. But you can still highlight things on there, and that's helpful. It's a psalm that's worth coming back to. I try to read this every birthday to remind myself of the truth that we see there. I'm going to pick it up at verse 1. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And it's our God, everlasting, eternal, always alive. Verse 3, you return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam. That's all of us, humanity. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives. They sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. The psalm is reiterating this truth that our lives are short. But do you notice in there, God is the one who ends our lives. You end their lives and they sleep. God and God alone is the one who gives life and the one who takes life away. So down in verse 12, there's this excellent prayer Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. The wise heart is the heart that recognizes the fragility of life, that doesn't take a day for granted, that numbers their days and goes, I don't know how many more I've got. That's actually all in the Lord's hands. And this is the attitude reflected in saying, if the Lord wills, we will live. The Lord may not will. We may not live another day, another hour, another minute. Life is not a continuing right for us to presume upon, but a daily mercy of our God. How does that impact the way that you make your plans? Well, don't take life for granted. Each day that you live is a gift from God. He could take it from you whenever He pleases. He's giving you life Because he has a purpose for you. Every day that you wake up is a day that God is giving you and he gives it to you with purpose. He has good works in store for you that he wants you to walk in. Ephesians 2 verse 10, we're saved by grace. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus that we would do the good works that he has prepared for us. Every day that you live is a day that God has given you that you would do good. Loving him and loving your neighbor as yourself. Make the most of the time that God has given you. Make the most of each and every day. Redeem the time. Now, some of us, when we hear that, we we immediately jump and go, all right, I've got to drop everything else, 
the only thing I can do with my time is to go and knock on as many doors and share the gospel with as many people as I can. If I'm going to make the most of the time, recognizing that life is short, I've just got to be out there talking about Jesus. I want to say tonight, that's not the only thing to do. The scriptures don't push us in that direction when they show us the brevity of life. Though, it may well be that for many of us, we do need to make plans to talk about Jesus a bit more. That when we do recognize how short life is, we go, actually, I need to be doing more about talking about Jesus. Uh, This is somewhere where I'm here as I consider this tonight. There was a time when I was going through university where every day I was praying, Lord, give me someone today that I can talk to about Jesus. I'm not praying that every day anymore. And, And that's to my shame. I ought to be looking for those opportunities, praying for those opportunities each and every day that God gives me because it's a gift from God to be used for loving him and loving my neighbour. So for many of us, perhaps, we do need to grow in giving our time to talking about Jesus with others. But there are other good things that God has instructed us to do. We're to lead quiet and godly lives in the midst of this world. Serving others, cooking meals, cleaning houses, doing some gardening. They're good things to do. Going to work, earning income so that you have money to put food on the table and money to give to those who are unable to work. Resting is a good thing to do. We need rest. Resting so that you have energy to go back to work. Reading and meditating, getting to know God better. They're all sorts of good uses of our time. But there are also ways that we waste time. And I'm encouraging us tonight, God's encouraging us through his word. Each day is a gift from him. Life is short, it's fragile. Minimize the time that you're wasting. Don't let it just fritter away watching Netflix, playing League of Legends, whatever it is. Some of those things could be restful. Rest in order to work. But you and I know the times where we're just wasting time, where we know there are better things to be doing and we're not doing them. Each day is a gift from God. Be thankful for it. Don't waste it. Use it to love God and love others. If the Lord wills, we will live. We've got those two principles at our core. We're ready to actually make some plans. So verse 15 finishes, If the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do this or that. We are actually meant to make plans, but that final phrase encourages us to leave some flexibility in our plans. We'll do this, we'll do that. We leave room in our plans for God to override and change them because it's His will that will dictate what happens. We're not so tied down with our expectations and hopes. We've got no flexibility to go with the flow. As we read this instruction in James, I want you to recognize that it relates to every part of life, to all of our plans. James is speaking here to the Christian businessman, someone who's planning to expand his company, who's budgeting for a year's profit. So these words about planning, they're meant to be applied practically to the specific details of real life. I don't know if you struggle with this, but too often Christians can leave God at church on Sunday when they head off to work on Monday. You've got your Christian lives and your Christian way of thinking and then you you put that on the shelf as you go into work and you have your business brain. And the two of those brains never meet. James is encouraging us, no, that shouldn't be that way. This instruction is for every area of our life. God ought to be honoured as your Lord in your business, in your career planning, in your planning for your studies. We're to take God into account in our family planning, in our holiday planning. All of those areas of life, God ought to be there. If the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. There's also a lesson in this phrase for some people, and you might be here tonight, 
And you struggle to make plans or set off in a direction because you're always waiting for a specific word from the Lord, a specific feeling of confirmation that this direction is the right way to go. You're praying and asking for some kind of sign, some kind of inner prompting before you go ahead and decide what to do. I want to say that's not the way God generally operates. He hasn't given a promise in Scripture to give you that specific word or that specific feeling. He might do that sometimes. He might give you clarity of direction, but most of the time, the way we see people operating throughout Scripture, God leaves us to make decisions and to grow in maturity of making decisions with the counsel of His Word, the Bible. It's okay to make a plan. It's okay to set off in a direction. You may not know at that point if that is the Lord's will. Otherwise, you wouldn't be saying, if the Lord wills, I'll do this. You'd just be saying, I know this is God's will, this is what I'm going to do. But there's freedom. There's scope to set off in directions, to make plans, to have a go. You do it humbly, recognising that God might change that plan on you. And if you're unsure of whether the Bible speaks into a particular plan that you're making, talk to your connect group about it. Ask them, say, hey, this is what I'm thinking I'm going to do. Can you think of any reason from God's Word why that might not be a wise thing to do? Why that might not be God's will for me? Uh, Invite others in to, to share in your deliberation about those decisions. But don't get paralyzed and never move forward in life because you're always waiting for that sign from God. You're always waiting for that special word or that special feeling. Don't get paralyzed in that spot. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This is a powerful shift in our hearts, a powerful shift in our mentality to plan in this way. If you want to bring that shift about, if you're sitting here tonight and going, yeah, I don't regularly recognize that God's in control, not me. I I don't think that life is short. If you want to bring about that shift in your thinking, you may well benefit from using something like these words that James gives us in the next few weeks as you think about 2019. You might benefit from saying, I'll try it out with you. If the Lord wills, I will live and stay in Auckland for the next 10 years. If the Lord wills, I will live and grow business profits by 25% next year. If the Lord wills, I'll live and be back in Auckland finishing my university degree next year. You might benefit from using those words for a while just to get the truth down deep into your heart. There's nothing magical about those words, but it's the truth behind them, the principles there that we need to ground in our thinking, ground in our attitudes, our mentality. If you say it enough, the words might get to a point where they just become meaningless and you're trotting out a phrase and you don't know what it means, you just know that that's the right thing to say. But I don't think that's our danger as a church tonight. I think we're more probably in the danger of not thinking that God's in control, of not recognising that life is short. And we may actually benefit from using words like this from time to time. You're not in control, God is. Your life depends on Him. To think otherwise than that, to get this wrong, to plan other than recognising God's control, God says it's evil arrogance. This is where planning can be evil. Have a look at James 4 verse 16. James says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. When we assume that we'll go on living, when we make our plans as if we're in control, what we're doing is putting ourselves in the place of God. We start to boast about our planning, boasting about how in control we are, how we can pull off these amazing plans. God says that is evil. That boasting, that arrogance is wicked. 
You may not think it's in the same category as adultery or stealing or gossip, but God does think it's in that same category. All these different categories of evil and wickedness, God says this arrogance, this boasting, that is wicked, that is evil. It's a form of friendship with the world and hostility against God. Do you remember those words from last week, James 4 verse 6? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. This arrogance, the boasting, our hearts of self-sufficiency and self-sovereignty that comes through in our planning, God opposes that. He's against that. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. That humbling gets deeper for me as I get to verse 17. As I got to verse 17 in preparation, I got strongly convicted of sin. I want you to have a look at it with me. There's one final instruction for our planning in verse 17. So... It is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Now, at first, that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? You've got this nice tight paragraph from verse 13 to 16. I don't expect verse 17 to be there. Is a jumping topic? Have we moved off from planning into something new? There's a number of commentators who write about this passage who think that that's the case. They can't see the connection. They go, maybe this is just a change of topic. It's moments like these when we struggle to understand God's Word, when there's something there that we don't expect. This is where we should pay close attention. It's an opportunity for us to grow in some area of our thinking. When God's Word says something we don't expect, pay attention there, probe deep there. See, verse 17 is not a random change of topic. It's connected to verse 13 to 16 with that little word, so. So. It's a word that draws a conclusion, an inference. How's the logic working between these paragraphs? I think it's this. Sometimes our plans can get in the way of us doing good. I know that's true for me. As someone who loves planning and who needs that plan and loves the structure of it, I can be so fixed in my plan that I fail to do good. Think about some examples where this might happen. You're walking along Simon Street. You've planned to go to Starbucks and do some reading. You're really looking forward to it. As you're walking along, you see someone sitting on the side of the road, bawling their eyes out. It'd be good to stop and check if they're okay and have a chat with them and be a loving neighbour to them. That'd be a good thing to do. But you're so fixed in your plan, you're like, no, I've got this limited time, I was going to go to Starbucks and read, they're going to close soon, I won't have enough time to read. Oh, you know the good thing to do and you just walk past. Your plan has got in the way of you doing the good. Or perhaps another example of it, you made your financial plans for the future. You've decided how much money you're going to save each month and then you hear that someone from church has died and they've left three children orphaned. You know that it would be good to financially support those children. And James 1 verse 27 has said, I hope we look at this a bit more next week, I'll leave that to Rowan to decide, but James 1 verse 27, pure and undefiled religion is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You know it's the good thing to do to help them out financially, but that wasn't in your financial plan. You don't have any fat there. You've decided on how much you're going to save. And so your plan gets in the way of you doing the good. That's just a couple of random examples. I don't know what it will be for you. Perhaps this is not something that you struggle with. I might just be preaching to myself tonight in this. I get so tied to those plans, so unwilling to change them, that I fail to do the good that's right there in front of me. 
Are there things tonight that you know are the right thing to do, but you fail to do them because they'd spoil your plans? Well, that's sin. What we should be doing is planning to do good. Just that basic level of our plans, recognizing that God's in control, recognizing that life is short, plan to do good. Adopting that mindset of if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that, it gives us the flexibility to, to drop our plan when this unexpected opportunity to do good comes up. When that opportunity to love someone pops up, we can say, okay, I guess this is the Lord's will for me right now. I had my other plan, but God's put this person in front of me. I'm going to love them. This is my opportunity. We can't do all the good that there is in the world. That's true. Sometimes we're caught between competing goods and we have to make that decision of which good will I do in this moment. But if you approach each day looking for the good works that God has in store for you to walk in, God's given you enough time to do those good works. He's got them prepared for you. Wake up each day thanking the Lord for that day that he's given you and looking out for the good works that he's got in store. You can do that on a day-by-day basis, but also do that as you make your long-range plans. Your long-range personal plans, family plans, financial plans, business plans. In all of those plans, plan to do good. Life is short and only what we do for Christ will last into eternity. What good can you commit yourself to with your life? As many days as God might give you. Last week, Kenny and I were on holidays. We got the chance to visit a different church. And we were up at Eden Community Church, just close by to where we live. We had a great time with them, loved fellowshipping with them, loved the time in God's Word there. I was really encouraged. They had a, an older couple that had just come back from India where they'd been visiting and supporting a lady who's 84. She's in India working in an orphanage, a Christian orphanage, telling young girls about Jesus. She's been there for 62 years. At the age of 22, she moved to India to help in this orphanage and she's been there ever since. That's a good life plan. If you're looking for something to do with your life tonight as a 22-year-old, there are still places that need orphanages around the world. What are you going to give yourself to? What good will you commit yourself to with your life? Consider the family who plans to foster and adopt children, knowing that it'll be hard, but pushing through and learning to love and teach those kids about Christ. That's a good family plan. What good will you commit yourself to? Consider the young person who pursues banking, not because they just want to make the most money and they recognize that that's a great job to make money and earn the income and retire at 50, but they actually go, I want to pursue banking Because as I make all of that money, that will allow me to be generous to global mission. It will allow me to be generous to the poor around me. They make their financial plan going, how can I make the most money to give away? The young person who pursues medicine, not for the status, not for the finances, but so they can help people in their distress, help sick people who are on their way towards approaching death. How will you look at your life and plan to do good? It's good to make plans. It can be evil if you come out with an arrogant attitude, not recognizing that God's in control, not recognizing that life is fragile. But do make a plan for your life. Plan to do good. As we wrap up this evening, let me ask you, what are your plans? What are your plans for tomorrow? What are your plans for 2019? What are your plans for the next 10 years? You're not in control, but our good God is. Your life 
depends on him. So let's not continue in sin. Let's not continue in evil arrogance, but humbly submitting our plans to God, praying, not my will, but yours be done. That's what faith in action looks like when it comes to planning. And if the Lord wills, we will live and we'll do good while we patiently wait for Jesus to return. Let me pray. Father, as we sit here tonight, we recognise that we're only here because you've willed it to be so. This is the day that you have made. We want to rejoice and be glad in it. We want to thank you for our life. Thank you for the opportunities that you've given us this day to do good, to love you, to love others around us. And there'll be more opportunities as the night goes on. Help us to keep our eyes open for those opportunities, to always be searching out those ways that we can be loving to others. Father, we confess that we have been evil. We confess our arrogance, our boastfulness. We live in a world that is so boastful, so arrogant, a world that thinks people are in control. And we've been caught up into that. We're sorry. Sorry for overstepping our limitations. Sorry for not recognising that you are God and you are the only one in control. Sorry for assuming that our life is a right rather than thanking you for each and every day that we have. Father, we submit our plans to you tonight. Help those amongst us who haven't got plans yet to be actually spending some time thinking, praying, chatting through what they might give their lives to, what plans they might have for the years to come. And for those of us who have those plans for the future, help us to evaluate them in light of your word to see if they are things that you might will. Help us to be humble. And we ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.